0: Good evening, everybody. This is uh, Darius Acemi, uh with uh, GV Wire Unfiltered, along with my co-host, Mike Carbassi. Good evening, Mike. Um, we're going to dive right in. Hopefully, you guys can hear us. We have a great program. I, don't know, I should say another great program coming to you live from Fresno, California. Uh, we're going to talk to Deborah Rush, who runs who heads who's the president of uh, Breaking the Chains, a, a local nonprofit organization to fight human trafficking in our area. Um, and but before we, we bring Deborah on, we're going to talk to G, G.V. Wires, Edward Smith, uh, about the article he wrote on the state of California, how they're spending your dollars, your tax dollars, and where the money's gone. Uh, population is staying stagnant. Yet the amount of spending is up uh, substantially. But before we get to all of that, we have a few um, few polls we want to show you. Poll number three, actually, uh, nobody n- nobody cared. Paul, I think Paul was gone. Maybe nobody cared about. It. Have you made any twenty twenty four resolutions? No. But so we're going to jump to uh, number four. Can you put, can can you four put number four up? You support you the, com- the is continue- Israeli, Israeli uh, uh, war or war bombardment, bombardment of Gaza. Of Gaza Cut off of food, of electricity, water, and, and water. Uh, uh, 44% of said, yes. Yes, said yes, which was interesting. interesting uh, and uh, over half said no. I guess that means please stop the bombardment of uh, Gaza. Uh, next poll. You support how Governor Governor Newsom and the legislator are spending your tax dollars. Uh, overwhelming majority. Almost 90% said no. And we're going to just bring uh, Edward Smith on uh, in a few minutes uh, to discuss the state of California and, and how they're, they're spending the dollars. Uh, and then I want to bring up a, one of the articles that uh, we had. Edward actually wrote this article, uh, I'm going to say last week. Let's put that up. California uh, budget grows 80% whilst population shrinks. So, instead of collecting more dollars, uh, just how are they spending it? Which is really the important question for us, uh, which we're going to try to dive into that uh, this evening. So, let's bring on uh, Edward Edward Smith. Good evening.
1: Yeah, good evening. Thanks for having me on, Darius and Mike.
0: Cool. Welcome. Can everybody hear Edward? Fine, Mike. Can you hear
1: Edward? Everybody can hear me. Okay, good. Cool.
0: Uh, okay, question. So, first question for you. Uh, tell us how you know uh, you are very familiar with this with this topic. How has state, California budget changed since 2016 in relationship to population growth?
1: Yeah. So, you know, we started looking at it. We started looking at the budget from 2016 because that's really where the budget you can compare apples to apples. And you can see since then, you know, the budget has grown 80 percent, 80 percent since then, while the population has actually shrunk. Uh, what is it? Point? Uh, it's shrunk about 0. 0.42. It's, it's it's less than half a percent. But it's, it just goes to show that, you know, what tax dollar income tax, which is the driving factor of uh, California's budget revenue. It's we're relying more and more on uh, California's um uh, uh, high income earners so you can see and you you, you we mapped this all out if you go to slide nine we can kind of see how uh department oh, hold on. agency hold, growth
0: hold, hold on a second i think uh, edward edward's screen has frozen
1: oh that's not good I and mean, can you still hear me we can, we can hear, hear you, point, you but uh it's shrunk about 0.4 to, it, it's, got, it's it's got. less oh, than oh, half a offset but it's it's just Screens. Okay, let me see. My Internet is still good.
0: Um, actually, while we're trying to get that fixed, let's put up slide number eight.
1: Yeah, so if you look at slide, slide number eight there, you can see how much the agency has um, how much each agency has grown. And it kind of reflects what California's goals have been. Um, you know, business, consumer services, and housing has grown 568% over the last seven years. Now the big key word in there is going to be housing, right? Um, you know, homelessness has been a, a, a huge issue. California is trying to, uh, California is trying to solve. And with that comes a lot of spending, um transportation as well. a lot of those are gonna be a lot you're gonna see a lot of those uh, green energy um kind of uh, clean um, clean energy uh, projects. so um, yeah, let me let me turn off my camera really quickly and then I'm gonna restart. I apologize <laughs> about this.
0: While Edward is uh, is doing that, let's uh, let's put up uh, where is that? Let's put up slide number eight. Okay, we actually we have it up. Population, so actually population as of January of last year, is down almost half a percent, which is which is this incre- Okay, Edward is back. Uh, I apologize about that. From from the last uh, seven years but spending per person
1: is up 81%.
0: Did you get a chance Edward to talk to any of the legisl- state legislators?
1: I did get a chance to talk to some people over at the LAO's office um and they kind of did a report when the news came out about uh, the deficit about the um about the 68 billion dollar deficit. So they did kind of talk about you know spending per person and a lot of that has grown so when we look at that, that's just a figure of, you know, how much money is going on. We just did some basic math looking at, you know, the ratio of, um, you know, how much, um, how much, how big the um, budget has grown compared to the person. I think a big telling number is um, you look at the revenue per person. So you look at how much has been collected um, a lot of that. So, if we can just put up, back. let's let's just put up slide eight back up.
0: There we go. I yeah,
1: so it. when you look at that revenue per person number, you know, while population has pretty much stagnated, even dropped a little bit, you could see that actually increasing 72 percent. Now, the LAO's office has attributed well, a could, lot could, of that to you, our highest earners.
0: Hold on, huh? let's let's explain to the audience who's the LAO.
1: Yeah, good, yeah, good <laughs> question. Uh, good point. That's the uh, legislative analyst office. So that's an arm of the state government. They're kind of, uh, they're in a way an auditor, and they they kind of look at um, the cost of legislation. So the legislative analyst, they're going to look at budget spend, budget spending, and uh, strategies, and and how well that's working. So, okay. uh, so yeah, you can see in the income tax collected by, per person is. Um, gone up 43%. And a lot of that's going to come from uh, California's highest earners, which is what the budget kind of relies on. Exactly. Exactly. Uh,
0: Now, this year, California has a $68 billion deficit. And I wonder if Mike has any comments on that. Uh, Not that you're in state government, but uh, Edward, uh, uh, did they tell you why we have this deficit They continue to spend more? Or they're not collecting as much or a combination of
1: it's the second one you mentioned. Um, okay. yeah, they're just simply not collecting as much. It came in. It took a little bit for them to get their um, to get income tax data back from last year, but when it did, it showed that um, California's top earners, uh, how much they were earning dropped significantly twenty four billion dollars uh, dropped from California's top earners. So um, now the laO attributes that to um, declines in the stock market, declines in investments, because when those go down or when corporations start earning less, that means that California is going to earn less. Now, I did speak to some tax advocacy groups. Um, So uh, the California Taxpayers Association attributes it more to the wealthy leaving California. You know, that's something that we've heard a lot of uh, USA Today just ran a survey saying that almost half of people are thinking about that. And when you look at it in terms of, you know, the stock market declining, when, you know, the state says stock market declines, well, the stock market actually ended okay last year. And, you know, it ended 24% a little bit higher. So when you're collecting on that, um, S&P, S&P 500 did. Um, so, um Yeah, that's so. You know, that's that's going to be the biggest thing is that California's top earners just aren't contributing as much to to uh, California's budget, and a lot of people are attributing that to uh, them leaving um, leaving the state.
0: And we have folks, the high income earners, leaving the state, and we have because they're tired of getting overtaxed and overregulated, and we have middle income folks leaving the state because their dollars can go so much farther in other states, like Arizona, Florida, uh, Idaho, I mean, so many other parts of the, of the country. Gas is less, income tax is less, services may be less as well. Uh, but a question came in from Inga, did you get any numbers on wage increases of state workers compared to the rest of the state?
1: You know, that's a really good question. And no, I didn't look at it that way. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, we, we can see that state minimum wage has gone up, but for state workers, we didn't we didn't track that. No, that's a very good question, though.
0: Let's, maybe that becomes a, a great question for a follow-up um, article, Edward. Absolutely. Etsy, okay. uh, any other questions? Mike, any comments or questions? Yeah.
2: So okay. while I'm a local elected, I'm always very concerned about the impact of the state budget because a lot of our funding and grant money comes from the state. And I can tell you, I'm extremely concerned about what's, come, what's ahead. Now, since 1983, the year I was born, by constitutional law, you have to pass a balanced budget in the state of California, which means expenditures cannot exceed revenue. In 2004, when Governor Schwarzenegger was a new governor, uh, there were serious economic problems. If you remember back then, that's when I started voting. And there was a proposition called Prop 58. It passed with over 71% of the vote. I probably was one of the people that voted for it. It was basically a balanced budget amendment that required the state keep a very large reserve called the budget stabilization account. As of last year, I don't know if the numbers have changed. There's about $23 billion in that account. Now, they can't draw all that money. It requires the governor to declare a budget emergency and a majority vote whether it's two-thirds or 50%, I don't know, from the state legislature, and they can only draw a certain amount, cannot exceed half that amount. So that could potentially help. The other problem, though, is, and I'm almost done with this point, there was a court case um, when our former uh, uh, state controller said that he had the authority, John Chang, had the authority to declare when the state budget is out of balance, and the court said no based on the law as written, it's actually the legislature. And you know, you can always fudge numbers by mis-es- misestimating money coming in, so that may be part of how we got into this problem. It's like making the lunatics uh, uh, run the asylum. So it's, it's a bit, it's a bit interesting, but it's going to have detrimental impacts on local government. Um, So people, when they see if their roads are being repaved or if they see money coming in to fund more police officers and firefighters, unfortunately, a lot of that or money for the homeless to be able to build housing for homeless and emergency shelters. A lot of that comes from the state and you're going to see some serious impacts and uh, lost revenue.
0: Great, great points, Mike. Uh, I'm going to kind of quickly go over slide number nine. Uh, before we dive into some other questions. So if you could put up slide nine, please. So budget by agency. And let's put up, bring up uh, Mr. Smith. I just maybe Edward and slide nine. So we have uh, legislative, judicial, ex- executive is up 180%. As, uh, as uh, Edward talked earlier, business, consumer services, and housing. And I don't know what the details are for that. 500 and almost 70%. Transportation, you know, 477%. Natural resources, you can. Environmental protection, I think that's one of the comments that just came in uh, from Inga. Environmental protection, 520%. You go down, labor, workforce development, 570%. And uh, government operations went up 430, uh, fourfold, basically, if this uh, uh, math is correct. uh, From. 2016 to
2: 2023, four times more. Here's the thing, Darius, this is is very complicated complicated stuff. stuff, But when you invest in in transportation, 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 there's probably a nexus to be made that investing in transportation or workforce development will actually increase revenue to the city um, in the long term. Uh, Sorry, the state in the long term. And even the city too. But the question is, this dramatic shift from 95, uh, what was it? Can you go back to the last slide? With environmental protection, increasing 520% at $400 million more, is that actually depressing the economy? Because it's money that's actually reducing the ability for job creation and new tax revenue to come in. So let's that's put kind the that,
0: Yeah, let's put up the last slide. What was that slide? Number nine. I think, I think Mike and, is referring and, to, yeah,
2: the- Yeah, yeah. So under, so yeah. under yeah. environmental protection, protection, we go from, we 90, go from 95 million, million in 2016, less than 10 years later, we're over half a billion. And the thing is, I'm not against making decisions to create our natural environment. I mean, we always enjoy how wonderful California is, being able to, so everyone can enjoy our beaches and our mountains and those things. But there has to be a trade off. Got to be really, really careful because for, for every dollar you spend for transportation, maybe you're getting $3 back. For every dollar you spend for environmental protection, how many dollars are you losing? And that would be an interesting number to know.
0: That's a great point. Let's put Mike on the screen. Oops i think or what happened to our video folks
2: you know what's disappointing darius k to 12 k to 12 education which is so important i'm not saying throw money at the problem but very minimal increase in in, in funding yeah. and and that to me if you do it right that really can generate future revenue again before you have to do workforce development if we take care of our kids early theoretically that makes a big difference. Very, very little increase in funding from the state. If you look at that, that map, it goes from just 48% over nearly 10 years. There's inflation, 53 yeah. to 79 That's That's surprising.
0: Yeah, we're not spending as much on K-12 through 12 as we are on a bunch of other stuff. Okay.
2: And higher ed, too, which j- exactly. definitely produces innovation and revenue for this state. There's no there was a study when back when I was a, a student uh, at in student government at Fresno state, Just a while back the chancellor's office said for every $1 the state invests in the CSU system, the study showed you get a $3.2 out of it eventually.
0: OK, we want to move on and maybe one minute. Uh, let's bring Edward back. Those are great comments. Uh, uh, Mike, so. So, you know, a lot of us talk about State of California, what is it, 150,000 people pay half the tax revenue, basically. And if some of those folks go on strike or leave the state, we have, you know, $68 billion budget shortfall. So I want to ask Edward, you know, when you talk to anybody in the legislator or LAO's office, how successful do they think their spending strategy is?
1: Well, they're going to, they do have a lot of numbers to tout. Um, you know, uh, when you look at homelessness, they do look at, uh, you know, the, the, the numbers of people that they have housed. And, you know, in the three years, you know, from, you know, uh, 2017 to 2020, um, you know, homelessness increased 23%. Um, and in the three years after that, it only increased 12.3%. So while they've spent a lot of money, you know, the, the homeless, while uh, homelessness has increased, it, it, it slowed down. And they are tackling <laughs> some big. They are tackling some big projects. Um, but in terms of transit, um, in terms of transportation, you know, uh, in the most recent uh, budget, they dedicated 5.1 billion to uh, emergency relief for state, for um, for transportation projects that just weren't penciling out. Um, so those are those are those are a lot of transportation projects that uh, you know just aren't pulling their weight in terms of funding themselves um some of those other projects um you know there there was a uh, 400 million spent for a for a 1 or actually it's a 2 billion dollar project that the state spent 400 million on for a 1.6 mile um transit in Inglewood to go from SoFi Stadium to uh the Intuit Dome you can see that on slide uh, 26 um yeah, I thought that was uh, pretty interesting. We spent, uh, so the Fed's put in $1 billion for a 1.6 mile transit connector. That's going to cost $2 billion. And, you know, the state kind of put $400 million in on that. Um, so, you know, it, you could look at it in terms of being successful or not. Um, a lot of a lot of naysayers are going to say it's not. Um, they're trying to tackle some pretty weighty goals, you know, climate change. They're trying to, you know, we've got wildfires, we've got flooding that we've got to deal with, and then homelessness. And homelessness, people will anecdotally say it's getting worse. Uh, Numbers are definitely still going up, but the rates increasing. So what they're saying, you know, it we it remains to be seen how those uh, how successful those uh, endeavors are.
0: Let's pull up uh, one of the last slides uh, before we move on to Deborah. Uh, Let's put up slide number ten. On Medical coverage for to all income eligible Californians. Was this part of your article too,
1: Edward? This wasn't, uh, but we. Too, this is just one of this is just an example of you know state spending strategies. Uh, this is something that's actually has the uh, Republican Party pretty divided here. Um, it's going to cost about 2.1 billion dollars in uh, 2023-24 from the general fund, I should say um to uh, to cover to cover um income eligible californians that's going to be from 26 to 49 so um that's for for to cover that now um it was pretty interesting republicans are pretty divided on uh, how they feel about that um you know um 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 the Visalia, devin Mathis actually published an op-ed saying that that'll actually pay for itself because not only uh, are we supporting people who need health care but it'll help uh, keep hospital bills down from going into the emergency room. And, um, and then another uh, California legislator uh, tweeted at him and they kind of had added each other on, uh, on had a little bit of a Twitter war debating whether the merits of whether Medicare for all, MediCal for all is uh, good or not.
0: Okay. There's a lot of debate about, I mean, I, I've heard it and I think there's a couple of comments on our Facebook live on, you know, the in-home health services. I don't know that if you got a chance to dig into this or not, but in-home health services, folks that get getting paid to take care of their family members that are already living with them, and some folks that are not even working, or actually some folks that are in jail or are dead, that are getting some of those dollars. Is there any truth to that? Did you get a chance to uh, dig into any of those?
1: I have not, but that sounds like the uh, nugget for the next story.
0: Okay, um, Okay. if there's no other questions or comments, and there's several other comments about California. One, Robert Wharton, nothing new, nothing great, except no new infrastructure other than a dumb train. But infrastructure building, freeway, we covered this multiple times on, on unfiltered. Freeway construction is, has become a lot more difficult and expensive because it, anything that expands capacity, Automotive capacity has to go uh, uh, has to go through a vehicle mile traveled analysis and uh, some kind of a mitigation measure on you know what you're doing, how are you going to mitigate all these people that are going to be using the third lane on 99 North as an example. So building infrastructure uh, as of two years ago, summer of 20, actually 2020 when uh, SB, I believe it was 743 went through a lot more complicated, more expensive. Any, any, any new project has to basically go through that, through that exercise and pay the additional dollars. So, um, Mike, any other co- questions or comments for
2: Edward? Mike,
0: no? Oh, no, you're on.
2: Great reporting. It actually is very helpful okay. to get this information to the public right. so they can know what to expect.
0: Awesome. Let's put up, before we bring slide 12 on, let's put up slide um, 23. Uh, Fresno City Council District Six. There are, we have a thir- confirmed date, Thursday, January twenty-fifth. It's virtual, live on gbwire.com. North that's Northeast Fresno. Uh, four folks uh, that are running, and there may be more than four. Four, but these four have committed to participating in the debate. It should be if you live anywhere in Fresno, who's your council member sh- should matter to you especially if you're living in uh, Northeast Fresno and you're watching this program, uh, tune in. We'll have more information on uh, gbwire.com. And this is in association with C-MAC, which the, uh, And I believe that the, the debate is going to be televised from CMAC headquarters in downtown Fresno. That should be a lively debate. Uh, <clears throat> also next Tuesday, Tuesday evening, we're going to have a special guest, Trita Parsi, uh, Israel-Hamas conflict and the risk of escalation. Let's put that up. Uh, this will be on uh, the website as well. Uh, so more more information on that. Uh, this will be the next unfiltered show for next for next week. Okay. So with that, let's now bring in our slide twelve and introduce Mrs. Deborah Rush, who is the president of Breaking the Chains. Of uh, Fresno, uh, an organization that combats and fights human trafficking, uh, a relatively young organization, and, and I just read an article that you're getting fifty thousand dollars a year from a newly opened cannabis store. Is that correct, Deborah? That is correct. That
3: is correct. Culture Cannabis. Where's yeah. Deborah
0: at? Why is Deborah not on the screen? She oh, is. she is on the screen. I'm sorry. I'm just not looking at the right screen. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sorry about that. Okay. Uh, First of all, tell the audience what Breaking the Chains does, how long this organization has been, uh, this, your nonprofit has been in in, in existence, mm-hmm. and uh, you know your relationship with law enforcement. How, how did this start? How did you educate law enforcement about the challenges of human trafficking, by the way, which in the, the United States is the biggest consumer of human trafficking. Trafficked human beings in the world is that is that correct? That is correct.
3: That is correct. Is that Americans are, yes, they are.
0: And, um, a giant number I don't know if it's two million a year or a, a giant number of,
3: 4. of humans. eight six billion a year. Million is, is, is how much money is billion
0: oh Oh, money dollars. Okay,
3: billion is generated. Off of around anywhere from about two and a half to what we think could conservatively about be about 3.7 million people. Driving. Wow. Yeah.
0: That's incredible. Yeah. That's just incredible. Okay. Why don't you give us a little background on your organization? Um, Absolutely. Go, ahead. go
3: ahead. So um, thank you again. Just. First and foremost, uh, GV Wire, Darius, Mike, for bringing light to this important issue, especially during this month. So, um, for our viewers out there, though breaking the chains, we've actually are in our tenth year here in 2024. So we're really, really excited. A grassroots or, grassroots organization that started out a very out of a very unfortunate necessity. Um, I am not only one of the founders; I am also a survivor. So going to the point as to why we did this, um, unfortunately. In 1999, I was taken and very brutally trafficked for several months because of a drug debt that was owed by my mother to a gang member here in Fresno. And that was, it Was it just obviously transformed my life. But what was really, um, I think, more pivotal was that at that point, there was no services in place to expose human trafficking. So nobody was talking about that. So I received no care, not little care, no care and so unfortunately my life devolved emotionally psychologically and physically very quickly years later i would find the uh, you know i would find out about trafficking i would jump into this and realize that there needed to be intervention at point of rescue and i think it's really important to understand when i tell you who breaking the chains is is that's what we do we are that intervention point we're that emergency room i think one of the false belief systems with human trafficking is that you simply remove somebody from this situation all's well that ends well you know give them some therapeutic services and this should be the end of the story but Hopefully we'll unpack a little bit of that. Nothing could be further from the truth. So Breaking the Chains exists to provide those critical care services, everything from housing support, emergency services, clothes, a warm meal, educational classes, counseling, um, ongoing, very long-term trauma care, We provide educational and job training and placement. We really basically work from point of rescue on through however long that person chooses to be a part of the Breaking the Chains program to really be a support system to help them put all the pieces of their life back together. And as I said in the very beginning, to answer the final part of your question about law enforcement is being a survivor rescue, specifically by Fres through Fresno PD, um, law enforcement is very close, near and dear, not only to my heart, but to the heart of breaking the chains. What people don't understand is that we're going into situations, or I shouldn't say we're going into because we're not, none of us are. The A lot of these individuals are coming out of situations that most people would run from. And so the only people qualified and competent enough to go in and really do that extraction, to to do the work, and to really um, intervene in those trafficking situations, unfortunately, is law enforcement. And that's where our partnership really comes together and is magnified.
2: Right.
0: Let's put up slide 14. And I know Mike has a couple of questions.
2: Uh, Mike? Yeah. So I want to explain to the public why the partnership is so critical. So when I Again, I did uh, several ride alongs and I still do them with officers and you go from call to call to call. Some of the most difficult calls are the more complex cases where there isn't like human trafficking. So working with groups like breaking, Breaking the Chains helps our officers to understand not only what to look for, but who to send folks to when they need help. And the other big deal is officers go from call to call and they don't get a lot of closure. What I've noticed is when they have certain organizations that are trusted they can call, it puts a little bit more ease on the officers to know that when they refer someone, they're actually going to a place where they can get help. And they're not just being, you know, given a number and that's it. Um, And I have had some officers specifically tell me how much breaking the chains does mean to them. So I I really appreciate Deborah's very hard work. Now, I want to take this in a different direction and ask you, Deborah. Human trafficking can happen anywhere. When you look at the numbers, it happens in Northwest Fresno. It happens in Southeast Fresno, all over. If you're the, I'm going to use the term, average parent, you know, you work, you try to pay, t- t- pay attention to your kids. Life is difficult. Life's busy. What mm-hmm. should a parent look for? What are the warning signs in, let's say, someone 10 to 18?
3: Well, so what I will, first and foremost, always tell parents is that don't panic because, you have the skills in your pocket. We have done a great job with the war on drugs and with so many other suicide prevention and all these different self-help techniques um, to identify uh, the first signs that something could be wrong. So instead of saying the first signs of human trafficking, what I want to make sure parents understand is look for the first signs that something are wrong. And, and that just goes with pull from what you already know. Is my child isolated? Is there a sudden change in not only their behavior, but maybe their social group? Um, are they changing the way they dress? Are they, you know, those are those are always very, very important first indicators that something's wrong. And it could be anything from a drug issue to abuse, bullying. I mean, you name it. Then the next step, which is really one of the most pivotal and plays into all those other things that we were just talking about, is that human trafficking. You have to understand why human trafficking has gotten to the place where it has gotten to. It is the number two criminal enterprise across the planet not just here in america and that's has a lot to do with technology and and easy access and the easy access we have um people to people and then that autonomy that the internet provides to us. And so the next one I'm going to tell parents is um, technology. If you don't understand technology, if you're struggling with understanding all the different platforms, I know I do that are coming up every single day, um, seek out some of those services. I know even the Fresno Police Department has a line that they offer that you could contact and get information about dangerous websites, including websites that are connected to trafficking. Of course, you can contact Breaking the Chains, but educate yourself. And, And remember that just because you're child is in front of a computer, it doesn't mean that, and that the person is not in front of them and they don't have direct physical access to them, do not think that your child is safe. And I think that most of us parents are are understanding that today. We might even have a hyper fear to it, but the problem is our children don't understand that. That autonomy that the internet brings, the safety of being in your own bedroom and cuddling under a cover and and sitting on even a switch and and having an, a conversation with someone who you think may be in Australia or Switzerland or New York or even two cities away um, is really it is not as is there's not as much warning or as urgency to really protect themselves as there should be. So making sure that your child understands that. And I'll wrap all that up in a really pretty wrapper and tell people that I always go back to saying that use the skills that we used with stranger danger from the beginning but apply it to the internet. You would not allow your child to talk to a stranger in a park in your front yard. You would start to question those. You start when a child <clears> is not five, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. But you start, as soon as they start communicating with other people, starting to teach them appropriate communication. We need to do the same thing when it comes to technology because that is the number one access our children have and traffickers have um, to this industry.
0: P- question for you. In So much of the rest of the world we see or hear that man, young boys and girls get basically kidnapped by force taken from their homes, from a park. Uh, Do you see that happening here in in, in the United States as well? Or is it more they get lured into uh, getting into a, a situation like that?
3: I definitely appreciate that that question, Darius. So yes, no, you're absolutely right. We see them lured in. So I think that Sound of Freedom is a great example. A phenomenal movie. I am a um, definitely we're a partner to Operation Underground Railroad. My hat's off to Tim Ballard. I want to make that disclam- disclaimer. What Operation Underground Railroad does is amazing. Um, going in, Darius, you could probably speak to this at some point into other countries that may not have the, the infrastructure that we do, the law enforcement protection, and doing what they do is important. But in America, and and let me, if I may just back up and say this, human trafficking, people have to understand when I say the next part, is one of the most um, heinous crimes that is occurring, but it's also one of the most complex and complicated, and it varies based on region. And it can be the region of the Central Valley versus what's happening in Idaho or country to country. So with that said, the infrastructure we have here in place with law enforcement, Amber Alerts, and all the things that we have done have not met, made stealing children um, and, oper- you know, it, human trafficking, they're like businessmen. It's all about profit and loss, risk and benefit. So that's, that's too much of a high risk for traffickers. So no. And my understanding from our federal partners and local, because I have asked this question, is they have had no cases of that happening. But I am told to make sure I make this disclaimer when I make that public statement, it doesn't mean that kids don't get kidnapped, that people don't get hurt and raped and serial killers and all those things. So please be aware of your surroundings. It may not be human trafficking. What we are seeing is a intentional, methodical luring and wooing that is happening from the third party component. This can be an organization. It could be a gang trafficker. It could be a parent. It could be a pedophile. I mean, you name it. Traffickers look like Anybody out there. Right. So the person, the third party person that is going to exploit this person. And then the other portion of that that we have to understand is that culturally and this is the big, big conversation that we're not talking about enough. We have desensitized our children at levels that I know I haven't even read about um, culturally to sex and violence and left them low hanging fruit. So when we're doing focus groups with teens in high schools, and junior high schools, some of the interactions we're seeing is really mind-blowing for me as a survivor. Just 25 years ago, when I, what happened to me happened, unfortunately, it would have been in my, I was a teenager, so in my social circle, it would have been just completely obliterating for someone to even think that I was involved in the sex trade. Embarrassing. You put whatever tag you want on it where now it is glamorized and these these kids, they're okay with it. It's We're seeing a lot of times we're talking, we'll see. well, my friends on OnlyFans, my friend does Feet Finder, you know, they do this, they do that, that's cool. That's kind of their thing. I don't want to disrespect them and be talking about how they're choosing to make money. So we've become no, okay what, with
2: this. Yeah, tell us what OnlyFans is. That's a really good point. And does that mm-hmm. have any connection whatsoever? Because people have no idea what it is.
3: Oh, absolutely. What I tell people is that, um, OnlyFans um, is a platform you want to be very, very cautious cautious with. And it is um, because what OnlyFans is, is a social media network that was how, created. How do you how do you spell that? OnlyFans, O-N-L-Y, F-A-N-S. O-N-L-Y-F-A-N-S. Okay. Got it. And okay. it was, it's, it's a social media platform, it's a, a media platform that was, my understanding, created to give entrepreneurs and those who are a creative spirit, if you will, a place to showcase. Their talents or their product or whatever, and develop subscribers, right? So that's a thought behind it. It does do some of that, but what has happened on a bigger scale because of everything I just told you—remember that cultural desensitization and mm-hmm. uh, sex and violence—is that we have youth uh, again. They just lie about their birthday. They upload false documents, and it's it's between a computer and me, and they create accounts. And then they do things like um, dress provocatively, do strip teases. Um, they can, I mean, it can it can go further than that, and it does. I mean, sometimes they're reported and shut down, but it basically provides that autonomy. So the person is able to be on this side of the screen. I could undress, I could be provocative, I could talk provocatively, do whatever it is you're requesting of me as a subscriber while you watch on the other end, and then I'm paid through the media platform based on how many or subscribers wow, I have. The biggest issue with this Good. that we're seeing that is very scary is not just that this is happening, but this is grooming as, at its finest. This is now cultural grooming. We're making these girls, and this is what traffickers were doing for years before OnlyFans popped up, is making them comfortable. So a lot of times traffickers will introduce girls or young men or whoever the individual in the sex trade let's talk about in the sex trade we're talking about to stripping escorting they're making them more comfortable with exposing themselves to this environment before it goes further and so they troll these sites they you know as you know if i have a facebook and you find me on facebook i'm sure you can find me on snapchat and instagram and wherever else they connect they build a relationship on the background and before you know it we're getting the most unfortunate calls.
0: Uh, these, are, these are alarming things that are uh, shaping up. Uh, like, like I think you said earlier, selling drugs, you make money one time off of that drug, but uh, human trafficking, you can make money five or six times a day off of a young man or a woman or a young boy or a girl even. Uh, and that's why it's becoming the, the cartels are getting into it or they, they have been it, it, into it there was a, and they put up slide 15 again great article i i hope that everybody gets a chance to read this uh put up 15 please uh there you go okay former fbi agent who went undercover to expose the dark world of child trafficking in our country the biggest user of of, of human traffic in the world is that correct Deborah
3: yes yeah in my opinion yeah, yeah. In what I understand it to be it is correct yes
0: yeah
2: um
3: uh, and, and it's, it's sad it, it is so sad it's sad that we are the ones that not only here that means we're going to other countries as well our businessmen I mean the exploitation is is incredible there is actually um, governments and countries that are beginning to, to not only form um, organizations, if you will, and resources like what we have to help victims are in place, but they're beginning to combat this because some of what we are doing is beginning to wash ashore, even on those shores, Australia, other well, places. It's moving well, out of America.
0: Well, if you watch that movie, like you said earlier, uh, Sound of Freedom... Yeah, it's based on a true story, right, an FBI agent that yep. actually goes mm-hmm. tr- trying try to not only hunt down uh, people that do the trafficking, but the victims of trafficking and right. finds out that so many of the customers are American folks that just go on and try to buy somebody, buy a young boy or a girl for a day, a night, or just buy them, basically. Right. Yeah.
3: Right. yeah, absolutely. It's people with money purchasing other it's people. Disgusting.
0: Yeah. It's really very much uh, sex, uh, It's really disgusting. It's so just, well, it's,
3: we just had our own Sound of Freedom story. To be honest, I mean, heartbreaking. I mean, because again, this is bigger than the sex. Tell trait. us about it's that. Tell, what we tell, go to? Tell uh, us well, about we that. just had. We just had a. Um, w- this is a common story, unfortunately, for us. But just Christmas. So we have um, the beginning of December beginning of November in there, we had a foreign national victim who was identified and, and came to us through federal partners. And she had been, um, she had wanted to come into this country. She has small children, six and under that are back in the other country, are back in South America. Her uh, four-year-old son was, has, is currently going through cancer treatments there, right? Which of course medical is limited. We're not going to go into that. So all this stress on this young mother um, so she's 24 years old, these two kids. She comes here. She's from, I can't give you the town, but a town that is very heavily known to be um, under cartel control. She gets to the coyote, she comes here. She gets here. They not only force her into labor trade where she's doing the flowers on the side of the road, holding the signs, you know, for all hours. Is—is is, She's also moonlighting in the sex trade and they're taking advantage and they're pouring drugs in the situation. It was horrible. So when she comes back to us, or when she comes to us, um, we're able to start helping her process this. And it was so, it had to be one of the most difficult moments in my career, transparently, and this is just a few weeks ago. Um, Tiffany and I sat down with her case manager and we're talking about her case and to know that she's from another country and all she wants in this whole world is to get back to those two children because she doesn't know what has happened to them. What have they done to my children? She's now because she's cooperated, she's lost all contact with her family, her children. She doesn't know if the cartel has come in and got her kids. She doesn't know what has happened. And um, the consulate was really great about helping us get her to where she needed to be. Um, But she only ended up with one of two choices. And here's the heartbreak, her two choices were this, give up any dream or hope of being here in America and you know, getting your child the help they need because they don't know where they're at. Once she got on the plane and went back across that border to the site she was going into, there is no more help. It's done. She's most likely not gonna be able to contact us. She's probably going right back into the same clutch as she were. She didn't wanna stay here because we couldn't locate her children. The, the, when we think about what like Tim Ballard and them did with Sound of Freedom, I think this gave me a new appreciation, right? This literally would have been a Tim Ballard moment, to be honest. Nobody breaking the chains can't cross that border and go get these kids for her and help her. Nobody can. PD can't, the feds can't. Nobody is going in there to help her. And we had to put her on a plane at Christmas with the biggest hug and tears. I'm, I'm sorry, sorry I uh, did not expect that. no, this, and this tell is... us that she loved us and she appreciated us and pray for my babies and I hope I find them and just keep doing what you're doing. And she went on her own, Ref, she got off that plane, I'm sure on the other side to go find her family. And that is just- you
0: know, ugh, There, there, there are several, there, this is terrible, it's horrific. Let me share this. And then there's a couple of questions I want to ask you that, that came on, 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 on Facebook Live. First of all, there was a group of Republicans. If, can you put Deborah on as well, please? Thank you, Deborah and Mike. There was a group of Republicans, I want to say a year ago in Congress that said, we should go after the cartels. and bomb them if you need to. And it, it, it has complications. You know it's difficult to go into, into another country and drop bombs or, you know, go, going after the bad guys. So said, we're going to target the cartels. We know where they're at. Laser guided weapons to just take them up, and 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 uh, part of me goes, gosh, I wish they would have done that. They some of these guys do so much damage to not only to their country but folks, you know, uh, and, and a lot of other countries, in, including uh, our country. Uh, well,
3: think about but, the Hamas Gaza. Not to make this all convoluted right now, but that's what yeah. happened. How do you go in? and eliminate an enemy that is hiding within the clutches of the civilians. Cartel operates a lot like that.
0: Yeah, here's here the key. We, we spent $800 billion of military dollars. I mean, $800 billion in military dollars. You have an incredible uh, um, intelligence and counter surveillance and surveillance counterintelligence agencies, NSA, CIA, and I know there's probably several others. Track them down, find right. out who they are, and let's just go after them. Yep. Instead but, of going after the entire you know population.
2: Yes, Mike. Is, I, yeah. Even if you catch them, there's very there's limits in in the state of California what you what right. you what you can do. And I'm going to go back to property. You know, D- I'm, I'm talking
0: about Mexico. I'm talking uh, going into Mexico with airstrikes, right. taking I out like the cartels. I'm, I'm That's sure. what Where I'm talking about.
3: That, that I, I don't want.
0: And Mike, I think is going to bring up what can the state of California do. And I, as you're answering that, there's a question that came in from Enga. Do you educate or give talks in the local schools? So, hold on to that question. Mike has got a, a, a question about what can the state do. I'm sorry, Mike. Go ahead.
2: Well, I'm going to start give give some information out there. But first, basically, Deborah, I want to understand what your thoughts are on the laws because in 2011, Supreme Court ruled the U.S. Supreme Court said California, you're overpopulated. Reduce your population. And then in, in Prop 57... You mean, I'm sorry, in jail? Jail. Reduce the population, population yeah. in jail. Okay,
3: yeah, okay, that makes
2: more sense. So then the yeah. you, you have uh, California passed Prop 57, mm-hmm. which the problem with Prop 57 was there, and there were a lot of court cases afterwards to determine this. They categorized what's considered a violent felon, what crimes are violent felons. Human trafficking, the rape of an unconscious person were not included. Right. So now, if you're a sex offender or you're a human trafficker, it's considered nonviolent. You can be released early, mm-hmm. and they've never gone back and fixed Prop Fifty Seven. Go- Governor Brown said, "Oh, we're going to do it." Never did it. No. And we we can arrest these people, put them in jail, but they're considered nonviolent. So well, I mean, my it question goes on the from there. Is- we
3: had more propositions that came after that. I don't remember. Was it forty-seven? or 47 been, was before 47 that.
2: hurt as well. But 57 yeah. is basically what says we can release them early if they follow this right. program based right. on their first offense. So the question is, have you heard from your circles, any movement on putting in, in reforming this and cre- making human trafficking a violent crime?
3: Um, yes. So, um, Human trafficking specifically, yes. So Breaking the Chains worked very successfully and definitely a lot of applause and shout out to Senator Shannon Grove, Assemblyman Jim Patterson, um, Jenna McKay, uh, Des Perkins, and all the ones who worked so hard, uh, Tyson McCoy, um, to get SB 14 passed, which made the trafficking of a child not only a serious and violent crime, it added it to the three strikes bill. So very, very excited about that. But uh what's important to note is that the year before we had actually went in together, and breaking the chains is one of the co-authors and writers, supporters of that of both bills, um, to try and get that overturned. And it was tossed back. It was obviously no was shot down, it got shot out in the public um safety committee, you know, or liberal safety committee. <laughs> they shot that down very quickly. And but they did come back and uh Senator Grove was basically was I I don't know, instructed or whatever came under the um wisdom to go back and make it for children and not adults and so our hope is that there's a conversation about now that we've been able to push this down the line now let's try and put some other things in front of it so our hope is to go back and make human trafficking in and of itself you know, a felony, but we were successful in getting the children being trafficked back onto that for the state of California. And then um, I know there's legislation that is in the works uh, regarding the Johns. That's a big one. I don't think that people understand that we don't do enough to hold the buyers. Um, accountable. there's a lot of conversations I'm hoping to have throughout this year in the year you know in the next coming years. Um, I know that one of the questions may be today what are we gonna do going forward? And this is one of the, the focuses for me personally as a state advocate is um, buyers. We can so walk walk to through.
2: see yeah so, so you want to see Deborah, more accountability for the people purchasing and supplying yes. this industry. Yes, yeah, because
0: if you're not buying, if there's no buyers or the buyers go, oh, my gosh, uh, I'm going to be punished, exposed. If that goes away, demand goes away, basically. Right. And, and then we cartel- eliminate it. Right.
3: Exactly. Yeah, and the cartels and- go,
0: we can't make money on this. Let's go back to making drugs Doing or do whatever else? it yeah, is. Yeah. Right.
3: And, 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 you here's, know. and here's the key that I don't think our lawmakers understand. And I know the hard push for that is going to be, you know, it's money and it is blue collar. We don't want to have that conversation. But you guys know there's a famous lobbyist that was a part of my trafficking story. And I throw him under the bus all the time. So there's people that um, do vote, right? These are voters. These are blue collar people that are buying these children. OK, so people it seems like it's a less likely of an area that they want to touch. But here's the the thing about it is they don't want to go to prison. These people who are heavily embedded in criminal activities, they go from one criminal activity to the next, just like a businessman. Okay. Like Darius just said, so with so much wisdom, cartels be like, well, we can't do that. Let's sell drugs, right? My job as an advocate is to try to help eliminate human trafficking. If we focus on supply and we make this a huge issue, people won't want to buy kids or buy people in California. That's that 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 I'm telling you will move it out, move it around in a heartbeat. So, but yeah. Good question. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, there's been a lot of talk about uh, trafficking, traffic victims being prosecuted. Is that changing at all in California?
3: Yeah, I believe so. I believe so. I work with a lot of different district attorneys. That's a conversation I've also been a very uh, a part of in a huge way, not only in just in some of this legislation that we've been helping to write and pass, but um, is education has went miles. And so it really does kind of frustrate me when I hear people from the other side say, well, what about these victims? Give our judges and our district attorneys a little credit. They really, really do want to see human trafficking eradicated in every case, not one, not a single, in every case that I've seen in the last several years that may have um, a victim that is kind of, you know, plays both sides, to be honest, right? They They have a hand in some trafficking and they were also victimized they receive um so much love and care and here's the big thing i want to say this and this is what i said um on our big press conference in sacramento for sb 14 when it got pushed and i told governor newsom himself before signing it was this is remember the judge all this does is allow a judge to um deliver the maximum sentence okay it doesn't mean the judge will No judges really do that unless they they need to or there's cause. So if I am a person who has trafficked a child, if I'm a victim or not a victim, the judge still has full sentencing discretion to say, okay, well, this is going to be the case and you're only going to receive five years or to even make it not a strike. Does that make sense? They can ask for, and yeah. the district attorney has that as well. So I, a, I don't Debra, see that being an issue. I see that as an excuse for the other side <clears throat> to try and not get things pushed through.
0: De- Deborah, I have a couple of quick questions, and we're almost out of time. So the, the, do you know what percentage of folks that get trafficked are local? Let's call it California buyers, mm-hmm. or what do you say, Johns, yeah. mm-hmm. versus how many go to Mexico and Colombia and Nicaragua oh, yes. to- Buy or have, I mean, what they do over there, we can't do a whole lot. But if right. they go and buy some a, a, a young person, and I mean, do you know what percentage of yes, this? I do. What, um, what is it?
3: I haven't updated this recently, but we did this about four years ago. Um, and what we found, and this matches the numbers we're seeing across the nation, is for a breaking the chains, 87% of the people that we serve are domestic only. of them are actually foreign national coming from another country here. And this is important. So I I really like, you're asking the great questions, Darius. And maybe this is because you were on our board once upon a time. You know these answers, though. (laughs) But these are great questions. Is what people need to understand is one of the myths is that it's all, you know, foreign nationals coming here, Mandarin, South American. No, people typically, traffickers typically traffic within their own borders. Again, businessmen. Profit and loss, risk and benefit. I don't want to cross international borders, go through checkpoints with victims and run this risk of getting in trouble. They do do it, but typically it's just not, it's much more convenient to just traffic the people right right there with you. And again, I love to close out like this. We people have left our kids low hanging fruit. The biggest trafficking issues that we see are within the sex trade and with the ages of 12 and 25 years old.
0: Wow. Okay. Okay. Question then. Do you spend any time with our school, the public education, to educate and inform kids? Uh, Does Breaking the Chains have a program like that? And I want to, again, before we go, I want to put up two slides, slides 16 and 17, because this is about revenue for your um, organization that uh, Edward uh, did did an article on uh, just a couple of days ago, Mm -hmm. January, yesterday, actually. Mm -hmm. So you get fifty thousand dollars a year comes from let's put uh, what is an a culture as uh, the name of this sort culture
3: uh-huh.
0: culture cannabis club fifty thousand dollars a year comes to breaking the chains is that correct yeah uh,
3: that's what they say okay <laughs> <It just opened. laughs> well,
0: okay <laughs> I hope okay. so <laughs> okay okay and let's see what else uh, we got any other questions for for Deborah before we go uh, there's a couple other comments I got. Uh, Mike, any questions?
2: Yeah, Deborah, Edward. if I'm a member of the public and I just love what you're doing, how can I support Breaking the Chains? Oh,
3: thank you, thank you. So go to btcfresno.org, and if you are anybody out there watching, is anything like me, don't worry. Just put Breaking the Chains, or guess what? Just put Human Trafficking Hold Fresno on, we're gonna we do better. We're gonna put up.
0: We're gonna put up that slide. That chat. Could you, there we go.
3: There we go, ccfresno.org. And just give us a call. We have plenty of opportunities for you to give, volunteer, get involved, and know that, you know, it is, I'm not trying to be cliche, but it's only together that we can break these chains.
0: You know, Anga just put up a great comment, which I substantially support. Public humiliation would be a great punishment for the Mm -hmm. Johns. Publish their photo on local news and stations. We just, we just, maybe that's a law that you can work on, uh, oh. that that and, and maybe we should broadcast that, Edward. Let's Good. let's have a, a conversation but we tomorrow. Yeah, and a so former council right.
2: member tried that.
0: We Say that again. Hold on, I'm hold on. One at sure. a time.
2: Wait a minute. One at a time. A uh, mic. I'm Go ahead, pretty Mike. sure there was a former council member who actually tried passing that locally. It never went through, but there wasn't a maybe last ten years. It did. Oh, it did.
3: No, no, here's the problem, no, before 10 years. We actually have, everybody can Google through Fresno Police Department, Operation Reveal, but nobody puts the pictures up there. There's so much, this is the problem that we're. when I was saying about getting these laws passed is because it's fine until you pick up a judge. It's fine until you pick up teachers and pastors and people who knock on the right, and I let you know I'm the biggest fan you know, up in the world, but they start calling the mayor, calling the governor, calling their council members and saying, hey, we had dinner last night. I got a problem, <laughs> right? And so that's my opinion because there, I have not gotten a We'll put them up. Anybody.
0: Hey, Deborah. <laughs> we'll put, we will put them up. So long as we're not <laughs> violating any state laws where state law says, hey, you cannot expose people that do bad crap. There's no uh, state law like that. We'll put them up.
3: But they do have Operation Reveal. So maybe, Ingram, maybe, I will, maybe I some virtual GV, GV wire. I shouldn't do this. I know Paco's going to hate me. But maybe they should start calling PD and say, why are those pictures not up on Operation Edward, that sounds, sounds like, like, like a next
0: great, great piece. article for you to call Fresno PD and go, <laughs> where are we at with those uh, pictures of Johns?
1: Honestly, Operation Reveal.
3: Operation reform. And maybe, it's, I mean, I don't know. I haven't looked it up in a long time. So please forgive me if I'm wrong. But let's find out. Let's get that website back up. Because I agree, public humiliation is something I'm a huge fan of.
2: That could be great deterrence, <laughs> at least in our area.
3: Bad. <laughs>
0: yeah. No,
2: but the, the sentiments understood. There's, it's a consequence. I mean, think about it. I, I don't think it should just be jail time. Like a DUI, there should be serious financial penalties if you're, if you're well, caught. Well, I mean, that. We, we put their picture up. That's gonna be. I agree. A- and and, and we advertise finances. that yeah. your
0: picture is like gonna be. Yeah, it have to be consequences.
3: Wire hat at the end of every week. All right, while well, we're signing off, look at these three guys <laughs> that got caught this week. <laughs> you yeah, know, people no.
2: think yes. And joking aside, people need to understand, like, if you, if you engage in this type of behavior, this person is not necessarily volunteering to be a sex worker. This is a victim who's being trafficked. But these people are so disassociated, maybe, well, we got to make them understand as a society by penalizing them. So jail time, financial penalties and exposure.
3: I think so. There we go.
0: uh, before we go, um, and before we wrap up, and by the way, Deborah, don't go because I want to get your closing comments and I want to get Edward's closing comments on the state of California. Uh, let's put up slide 23 and 22 again, please. 23 again, Thursday, January 20, uh, 25th, 6 to 7 p.m. on CMAC and GBWire.com. City Council debate for Northeast Fresno. Roger Bonakdar, Raj Sodi Lane, Nick Richardson. And Molly Fagundes Johnston are gonna uh, uh, be doing a debate. And I believe that's with uh, David Taub. Is that correct, Edward? That is correct. Yes, okay. And then let's put up slide 22, please. Monday of that week, we'll have two, a a double decker, back to back, uh, from 5 to 6 p.m. is the supervisors' debate. Sal Quintero, the incumbent supervisor uh, Fresno, again, Fresno County, which is going to debate. Luis Chavez, current council member. Miguel Arias, current council member. And E.J. Hinojosa, uh, who is an ed- uh, educator, uh, all running for to take on District 3, Sal Quintero being the incumbent. And then on... Uh, At 6.30, same night, again, live on gbwire.com, it sounds like a a five-person debate for District 2. By the way, District 3 is, by and large, downtown Fresno area. For Supervisors, District 2 is Northwest and Northeast Fresno, and Fresno County Supervisor District 2. That debate uh, is with the incumbent, Steve Brandow, Gary Bredefeld, who's termed out at the Fresno City, as a Fresno City Council member, Paul Dictos, who is the current Fresno County Assessor, Recorder, Dion Bourdais, County Social Worker, and Bryce Herrera, a business owner. So hope you tune in. A lot of great information. If you want to know how to vote, coming up, which is uh, ballots get dropped, Mike, uh, first week of February. Is that correct?
2: Yep. Okay. Yeah, we're less than a month away. There we go.
0: Okay, uh, February let's get the, to uh,
2: the fifth, roughly. February
0: the fifth. Got it. Thank you. Okay, uh, we'll start with Edward, and then go to Deborah and Mike. And uh, Edward, uh, closing comments on. Well, you can talk about human trafficking, but mainly about the state of California. <laughs> what? What? What do you see in the state of California?
1: I do not envy legislators in this upcoming um, in this upcoming year. They have to deal with. The- A 68 billion dollar deficit and they're going to have to make some cuts Um, We're going to hear some first announcements actually coming out tomorrow Um, So we're going to see what the governor has to say, they're holding a press conference But um, they've got some big issues to tackle and they don't have as much money as they think And so we're going to have to stay tuned and see what they're willing to cut
0: Got it, okay Uh, And and Deborah. As you talk about uh, your, you give us your final comments, a question came in from Davina. Can you answer the question about education in the schools, please?
3: Yeah, definitely very quickly. So yes, breaking the chains, does provide support to our education system upon request. However, we partner with other organizations here in Fresno County that do an even better job when it comes to prevention and education. So Dana, I would ask you to look up, and those watching, the Justice Coalition or the Central Valley Justice Coalition. They are our um, partner agency here in Fresno County, and they primarily focus on prevention and education and they are in our schools and doing a phenomenal job and they have some great online
2: um okay
3: classes awesome. that are available yeah right and then so yeah so closing comment i think that this <laughs> is a big issue i think it's an issue that can be conquered if we come together and we really look at this holistically i think that really right now it it, it seems like in some of the areas here in fresno we focus on on Human trafficking as a whole, but then there's other areas where maybe it's stronger, a stronger focus on, you know, gangs or sex trafficking. But I think that us really coming together as a community and figuring out what that holistic approach is going to look like, I mean, at a much higher level, legislatively, finding out how can we really come after the buyers? How can we better support the victims or those who may end up in this situation who are coming from impoverished minority communities, broken homes, identifying that, talking like was stated before in our education system. And again, supporting our law enforcement and their efforts to really try and identify this is when it's happening, keep our community safe. And that's gonna happen whenever parents engage and really begin to ask the hard questions that may be uncomfortable and difficult. So, and uh, and thank you again, GB Wire, for having us out here to really shine a light on this important issue.
0: Thank you, Deborah. Uh, that was awesome. Uh, before we go to uh, Mike, can we put up One last time, the promo for next Tuesday night, which is uh, Trita Parsi was the Executive Vice President of Quincy Institute for Responsible Statescraft. He'll join us uh, via Zoom from, uh, I believe he's in Washington, D.C., to talk about the Israel-Hamas conflict and the risk of escalation into the greater Middle East. Again, stay tuned next Tuesday. We hope to see all of you then. The next, let's go to Mike.
2: Yeah, uh, so, you know, response to edward i actually envy state legislators because this is a big opportunity to make real decisions um you know it's easy to be there when times are good it's when times get tough that you actually will be able to make your mark and show your leadership so let's see what happens i think a lot of them will shy away but um we're going to find out who the real leaders are and who who the real leaders aren't i want to thank deborah for being on i think what we learned from this show It's kind of a bleak picture because the reality is very difficult out there, whether it comes to our state budget or human trafficking. But it just goes to show how much of our lives here in Fresno are impacted by the things that happen in Sacramento. So we have an election coming up. Please make sure you vote. Don't just vote for whoever's running for president. They call the rest down ballot races. They may, in a way, impact you more. Um, you actually have more access probably to your state officials and definitely your local officials than you will who's sitting in the white House so please vote makes a big difference
0: great points um They should need to cut the departments by the same percentage they, they increased okay here's my uh, my final comments uh, the environmental protection i believe uh, percentage increase was uh, in the budget the last six years was over 500 percent they should be increasing the budget to fight human trafficking 500 percent because (laughs) that's that's doing and i think several folks put it on or at least i think enga put it this is god's work it's not only getting folks to come in and do labor slave it's coming and selling their body uh from the age of four or five years old uh in my mind there's a Really dark place in heaven and hell. Dark place in hell and a, and a dark place in our world uh, for these folks that abuse. Whether they're doing the uh, what do you call it? they're the they're the organizer of human trafficking or you're actually participating and and, and buying or, or paying money for that. Uh, it, it's 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 it, there's a, there's a, again a dark place in hell. Dark place here. There should be. And, and if I was a governor or president, I know what I would do to those folks. <laughs> it's beyond exposing them. Uh, but uh, I'm not going to get in trouble here on, on the air. But it, it, yeah, these are the lowest of the low scum uh, in our society. Anyhow, really with that. Oh, Mike has got one other comment. No. OK, Deborah, again, this is Human Trafficking Prevention Month, correct? Correct. All, Jan- yes. all of January. Uh, Mike asked the question, how can you help? If you want to contribute, you want to volunteer, btc.org. Is that correct?
3: btcfresno.org. And I need to say one last thing. January 11th, and I'm asking all of you here today too, is National Human Trafficking Awareness Day. Wear blue. We'll have it all over our social media. So I want to see all you guys in blue on social media.
0: That's out. Okay. Uh, That is January 11th, which is this Thursday.
3: This
0: uh, so wear blue. Wear okay, get blue. your little social lapels.
3: Social thank you. There you yes. go. And blue lapels. Media. Please show your support.
0: Uh, Esther Franco said, "Hey, thank you all for discussing child sex trafficking." um Inga's final comment: Deborah is doing God's work. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, yeah. So, thank you for doing that, you and your co-founder.
2: Yes.
3: And our staff, I, I really want to say that. Yes, we have we have staff. We have 17 full-time employees that do all the work on the back end, three locations. So please keep all of our team in your prayers. They work very, very hard.
0: Awesome. On behalf of all of us at GV Wire, thank you for watching this incredible show. Hope to have all of you back next Tuesday as we, co- we discuss Middle East and potentially Ukraine geopolitics. What's happening with Ukraine? Uh, what is the future of that country? Probably a lot of bad things is gonna to happen to folks there, civilians, besides trafficking. Anyhow, future is not bleak for some folks in some hot spots around the world. We'll discuss all of that next Tuesday, right here, 6 p.m. in Fresno, California, or in beautiful Fresno, California, where Deborah Rush is punching the face of human trafficking. Awesome. Thank you, everybody.